Welcome to RUF. Um, if it's your first time, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Sammy. If it is your first time, I'm the campus minister here. And, um, sorry, sorry, trying to get my notes here. Um, welcome. So if you haven't been with us, uh, you're, you've, you've missed out on the series we've been doing called Simply Jesus, where the whole goal of the series has been to look, uh, starting in Genesis, and we're making our way to Revelation, and how the Bible really isn't it isn't really even about us. It's about this guy named Jesus. Maybe you've maybe heard of him. Um, and tonight we come to that part of the Bible uh, called the Psalms. And I, I love the Psalms because the Psalms really are the song, not just the songbook of the Bible, but the songs. If you're an emotional person, like I, I grew up from as early as I can remember, like I was an emo kid when that was a thing. Just strong emotions, high, low felt lots of deep things. And the Psalms is a place where we get to see what it looks like to take our emotions to Jesus, uh, to take our emotions to the Lord and all kinds of emotions, everything from anger to sadness, to depression, anxiety, all kinds of things. And uh, that's why John Calvin called the Psalms like an anatomy of the soul, because when you, when you read through them, you get to see pictures of what it looks like uh, to feel before the Lord. Um, and tonight we come to one of my, it's a, it's a Psalm that's dear to me. It's dear to me because my first experience with depression um, was right about seventh grade, and it came with a vengeance, and I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't really have, you know, I was an introverted kid, so I, didn't, I wasn't really talking to my, my mom or my dad about it. And I really, from seventh grade, eighth grade into ninth grade, really, really struggled really badly with depression. Just didn't ever want to leave my bed, didn't want to leave my room, uh, got just isolated socially. And when I became a Christian right around freshman year of high school and started reading the Bible, Psalm 42 was one of the first places where I felt understood. And so I love to get to preach in it, and so we get to do it tonight. Psalm 42, uh, you have it in your, your handout, or if not, you can follow along in your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV. It's written by the sons of Korah. They were sort of like a musical group back in the day. And uh, here's what they write. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, 
with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. And he starts talking, they start talking to themselves. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, the song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Have you ever felt like that? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let me pray for us, and I want to um, dive into this psalm tonight. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you that you see us, you know us, you love us. And you, um, Lord Jesus, you are not out of touch with these feelings that we're talking about in Psalm 42, where we, we read about you in the garden, sweating and crying, full of anxiety, full of, in a way, in your own way, despair, fear. And yet, Lord, you experience what it feels like to be human. And in that moment, instead of shrinking back, you, you went forward to the cross for us. But Lord, we thank you that you are a Savior who's well acquainted with our grief. You are a Savior who's well acquainted with our suffering. And so, Lord, I pray that um, as one who knows us in and out, who feels what we have, what we feel, who has felt what we feel, Lord, would you minister to us in profound ways? Some of us come and we, when we, those words, depression and anxiety, we feel like they describe us. So would you minister especially to us? And some of us, we, we, we have friends, we have family members that that's their story and, and we don't really understand it. But would you give us grace to understand and to listen? So, Lord, would you meet us in this place in healing and powerful ways? We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, like I mentioned, uh, depression is a huge part of my story. And this one I want, I want to talk about from Psalm 42, depression and anxiety. Um, anxiety is a huge part of my life's story. And, and the way that clinic, like a lot of doctors today like to say, basically, you know, they start, they really will, will talk about them as two sides of one coin. The way I like to think about it is depression, when you think about it, is a way of feeling such strong feelings of despair or hopelessness that it brings you maybe down into darkness, into despair. Anxiety, sometimes I think the way it works is it brings you up into um, wanting to control or wanting to kind of freak out in a way. And uh, that's my marriage in a nutshell. Sounds fun, right? Yeah, it is fun. You should come over for dinner. We'll, we'll, um, I'll make some burgers. You'll get to see depression and anxiety at work. It's beautiful. Um, but Psalm 42 is a comfort for, for whether you come that way or with depression or anxiety. It's a huge comfort to us. And I want to do uh, three things from the psalm, honestly, three things. Uh, I want to first think about um, how it feels, depression and anxiety. I'm really going to treat them as kind of two sides of one coin, how it feels. I want to talk about uh, where it comes from. And then lastly, I want to talk about what in the world can we do about it. So how it feels, where it comes from, and what in the world can we do about it. So first, let's think for a little bit about how it feels. And I think when I was like a, uh, right before my freshman year reading this, this was uh, the way the psalm describes how it feels, what I think was what ministered to me so profoundly. There really are seven images. We'll go through them quickly. Here's the first one. It feels like dying of thirst in verses 1 and 2. 
Secondly, it feels like a buffet of tears. It's like the saddest, it's like a buffet. If anything could be sadder than Golden Corral, it would be this buffet. Just like he says, literally, my tears have been my food day and night in verse 3. Thirdly, it feels like having your inner critic and inner cynic on a loop in verse 3 and 10. Uh, Kendrick Lamar has got this great song that kind of gets at that. I think I have it in your, in your handout in the front if you want to look at it for a second. It says his song, You. Here's how he, he's, he's talking about that inner critic, that inner cynic. It says, I know your secrets, mood swings is frequent. I know depression is resting on your heart for two reasons. You the reason why mama and them leaving. You say you love them. I know you don't mean it. I know you're irresponsible, selfish, and denial can't help it. Your trials and tribulations and burden, everyone felt it. And I feel like he's getting at that idea. That you feel crushed. Part of what is so hard when you're wrestling with depression or anxiety is you have that voice, right? You have that inner critic who is constantly on your... It feels like he's pressing on your chest with thoughts like you're not good enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not smart enough. You're not... You, you fill in the blank. You're not enough. Your inner critic and inner cynic is on a loop. The fourth image, it feels like being emptied out like a leftover drink at a party. Just the saddest left, you know, I'm talking about like the saddest solo cup just left over from the night before. And it just feels like just, you just feel ugh, emptied out. The fifth one, it feels like nostalgia. He talks about how he remembers how life, how, how life was good. But a lot of times when you're depressed, it's nostalgia, but it's for sad things. Like I'll never forget my junior year, depression kind of came back with a vengeance. And I'll never forget being Friday, it would be Friday night, and instead of being out with my friends, I would be at home, like, watching sad, the sad music, when VH1 was a thing, like, sad concerts. And there was this one vivid memory I have of watching Counting, <laughs> there's this Counting Crows, you don't even probably know who they are. They just write the saddest music. And just, like, just watching Counting Crows while my friends were at football games, and just, like, crying on the couch, and thinking, like, this is not normal, right? This is not how, what it's, junior should be doing, but I was. Nostalgia, but for sad things. The sixth image is a powerful one in verse 7. Is it feels like drowning in the ocean. I want to talk about this one for a second. Because a lot of times, uh, you know, we sing about God's waves washing over us. And I think sometimes, like I think about, I don't, I don't know that much about Hillsong. But I imagine sometimes we sing it in these beautiful ways. And that's not what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, God, I feel like I'm drowning. Like, I feel like I am dying. That's, by the way, why I asked the music team to do I Ask the Lord. Because sometimes we don't know how to do songs of lament. Where we're like, God, things are not okay. Like, I'm going to praise you and hope in you, but it's against my feelings. I don't feel loved by you. I feel abandoned by you. Literally, that's what the psalmist says. God, you are my rock. And then he, said, he has the boldness to say, where are you? That's all through the psalms. Psalm 88 is the most depressed. If you want to get real depressed, I mean... If you want to see how depressing the Bible gets, read Psalm 88. It's just darkness, darkness, darkness. And when you think there's going to be the Jesus juke at the end, no more darkness. And praise the Lord that God put it in the Bible because sometimes that's how life feels. We feel like we are drowning. We don't know where God is and we don't know what he's doing. And we still, we have faith. We trust him. We're trying to trust him, but it's hard. And then the seventh one is the doozy. Verse 10, he says it feels like a fatal wound. Not in my flesh, but in my bones. That's a vivid image. A fatal wound in my bones. God, I am crushed. It's, he's saying that's what depression and anxiety often feel like. Uh, one of my favorite authors, David Foster Wallace, in his book, Infinite Jest, he, he has a character named Kate Gompert who just nails this, I think. She's tried to kill herself for the third time. She's in the psych ward. 
And she's trying to get this young doctor to understand how it feels, how she's feeling, why she wants to kill herself. And here's what she says. She says, no matter what I do, it gets worse and worse. It's there more and more. This filter drops down and the feeling makes the fear of the feeling way worse. And after a couple weeks, it's there all the time, the feeling, and I'm totally inside it. I'm in it and everything has to pass through it to get in. And I don't want to smoke pot and I don't want to work or go out or read or watch TV or go out or stay in or either do anything or not do anything. I don't want anything except for the feeling to go away. But it doesn't. Part of the feeling is being like willing to do anything to make it go away. Understand that? Anything. Do you understand? And I love this line. It's not wanting to hurt myself. It's wanting to not hurt let me get personal for a second. I didn't plan on sharing this, but um, so college for me was the time where my depression was the worst. I think there are a lot of reasons. Part of it was the lack of structure. Like high school, you kind of had to do things. And I, when you got to college, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to make myself do things. This is not going to go well. So I just like slept in all the time, skipped class, which added to my depression. Part of it too, though, was experiencing this pretty tragic breakup with, the, with this girl that I was like, thought I was going to marry and then she that didn't work out I was crushed by that and there was this one moment where I'd met my wife Alyssa we started to date and it was right uh, I think it was the summer after my junior year yeah and it was like one of the first times where she was going to come to the beach with my family and so I was like really excited so she had come to my hometown Sumter uh, for the night and she was getting ready to we were going to go to Tybee Island for the week and I just was in this place like I don't like the way Kate Gomber described it inside this feeling of just feelings out of control, feeling dark, feeling despairing, hopeless, all those words, and just feeling completely swamped and overwhelmed by it. And there was a moment, this was a Friday night where it was the dumbest thing, but I mean, I'm just going to tell the story because it's the true story. So it's the dumbest thing where it was one of those things where I was always wondering, is this person going to be with me or are they going to leave me? So I was hyper paranoid about feeling abandoned. And, and my now wife, there's redemption in the story. My now wife was like hanging out with my sister and I was so jealous. And it was, the, it was one of those moments where like, it's the dumbest thing to watch your sister and your girlfriend like really get along. But because I was so inside the feeling, I felt like I was being abandoned. And so literally in this, in this moment of just hopelessness, I wrote this note. I left it on my pillow, I got in my car, and I just drove. Ended up, if you know Sumter at all, uh, ended up at Toomey Hospital, just parking in the parking lot and just sitting there for about an hour. Um, When I got back to my uh, mom's house, my stepdad's house, um, there was a a cop there. They had called the police. Um, my, uh, My stepdad was like feverishly looking through the garage, looking for his guns. Um, and it was a moment, it was a, m- the moment for me, where I needed, I needed help. Or it was something was, uh, this thing was bigger than me and I couldn't handle it, right? Like it wasn't one of those things where like, oh, I've got this. It was like, I don't, I don't got this. I don't have this. And through the love of, um, really honestly my now wife through the love of my family I, I really began to get the help that I needed uh, so that's part of how it feels you can see how Psalm 42 is this gift because it describes how it, what it feels like but then secondly let's talk for a little bit about where it comes from 
Because um, I think this is where we as Christians really struggle because we like neat and tidy answers. We like a lot of us love black and white. And when it comes to depression and anxiety, we don't know what to do because things are not super black and white. And so that's why I love Psalm 42, because I feel like it, it gives you this picture of how big and overwhelming and, and complex depression and anxiety can be. So just look at it with me for a second that we really get to see that it's rooted in at least three different things. And when we come to talk about depression and anxiety, it's, it's not rooted in one thing. It's rooted in three different things. There's, first, there's an emotional component. Uh, the sons of Karah, this, the, the guy who's pinning this, he's most likely writing this in exile. Uh, where, where, you know, remember that part of the Bible when enemies, the enemies of, of Babylon came and took God's people out of Jerusalem and they were living in Babylon. And there is a hopelessness, just a lostness that was com- completely emotional, a feeling of, of loss. Yo, this is why when I said college is where depression got so hard for me, part of what's happening for some of you is there is profound sense of loss, like major transitions. You're, you don't live at home anymore. You live in this foreign place. Oftentimes you've lost that friend group. This was huge for me. I lost that solid, solid friend group that I just loved and we all dispersed. There was loss of relationship. You're in this new place. It feels foreign. There's loss of familiarity. Those are all huge triggers of, of depression and anxiety. There's an emotional component. Um, but there's more than that. There's not just an emotional component. There's also this physical component. Psalm 42 is so interesting to me because he talks about everything from, here, here's what's clear. It's clear that, number one, his sleeping patterns are deeply disturbed. He's not getting the sleep that his body needs. It's also clear that if we take this psalm, that we take him at his word, that he's not, his, his, his eating is off. Like, he's not getting the food that he needs. In other words, he's not doing self-care, right? He's not uh, physically taking his life and his body Seriously, that's where there's a weird scene in First Kings. You know the scene where Elijah. It's a beautiful path. If you really struggle with depression, and Elijah, his story in First Kings nineteen is hugely comforting because he gets so depressed. He literally says, "Lord, life, I want to take my life," and he ends up uh, just isolating. He ends up in this cave, and there's this moment where the Lord is beautiful because we imagine the Lord is going to come and just rebuke him. He'd be like Elijah, man up. You're my prophet, man. Like, step it up. And that's not what he does. Instead, he feeds him, and he sends him into a deep sleep. And I love that so much, because I think even my propensity, as someone who understands somewhat the struggle, is I want to give someone, like, a Tim Keller book. Like, that's going to fix them. And that's not what God does. He gives them, like, if you really want to love a depressed friend well, let me just, for those of you who are, this is not your struggle, just a meal. Wendy's spicy chicken number six could be good. Or if you want to get real crazy and make them something, make sure you include maybe two pans of Sister Schubert rolls. You know what I'm talking about, Sister Schubert rolls? Man, shoot. Like, that, I mean, that'll, it's not going to solve things, but they're going, to feel, they're going to feel loved. Because you're taking, sometimes what we need is for you to take our, our you know, bodies seriously, our sleep and our eat. But there's also, there's not just an emotional component, there's not just a physical component, there's also this spiritual component. Uh, he, the psalmist gets very honest about he's struggling to be in speaking terms with God. He, he literally has to turn, the, you know, the, the thing that's pointed out over and over again about Psalm 42 is he turns to himself twice, and he talks to himself. Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones is a great British preacher, and he makes the observation that a lot of times our problem in depression and anxiety is we can't stop, we, that we tend to listen to ourselves 
more than we talk to ourselves or speak truth to ourselves. In Psalm 42, you see him trying to speak truth to himself, to remind himself of who God is, to remind himself of who he is in God's eyes. And a lot of times we get depressed and we get hopeless because we've forgotten. We've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten the truth about who God is and what he's done for us. But here's what I want you to see. Growing up in the church, part of why it's so hard to talk about is our temptation is to want to root depression and anxiety in one of these things instead of all three. Do you see that? We want to either make it super spiritual. Sometimes we want to make it like it can be fixed with a Tim Keller book. We want to make it sometimes super physical, like it can be fixed just with a pill. We want to make it either super emotional, like it can be fixed just with counseling. And I want to say to you, all three of those things are super important and a huge part of my, like, you know, continued healing. But we want to root it in one of those three things. The story that I always think about is when I was in Statesboro, it was my first time in ministry, this is probably 2009, where depression just seemed to come back with a vengeance. Uh, it was my first time being a pastor and experiencing that. So there was a counselor in town that I decided to go see. And I'll never forget, he didn't really have an office, so we would meet this Ruby Tuesday, which I think was not helping the depression because it's like the salad bar. Like I would get the burger, but it was just the saddest burger of all time. So I'm sitting there with my sad burger. Across, he's across the table. And I'm telling him like what I'm feeling like. Like I'm, I'm feeling hopeless. I'm feeling like life is really hard right now. And um, I'll never forget him saying, here's what I think about depression. Depression is always, here's what he said, depression is always, I believe that depression is always rooted in sin. Because that gives me hope that if I want to not be depressed, I just need to repent of my sin. And I'm not kidding you. Like, I wish I could have reached across the table. I mean, I'm not like a violent person, but I had violent thoughts in my heart toward him. Because I wanted to say, you don't know what you're talking about. You're trying to root this whole thing spiritually. And I'm not saying that's never a component. Psalm 32, we could look at David saying, God, part of why I'm depressed is I am living with unconfessed sin. Absolutely, we've got to talk about that. But to simplify it to that is something Psalm 42 won't let us do. That there is absolutely a physical and an emotional component that we have to take seriously. Here's the way, again, my guy Martin Lee Jones said it. He said, many Christian people, in fact, are in utter ignorance concerning this realm where the borderlines between the physical, psychological, and spiritual meet. Frequently, I found that such church leaders had treated those whose trouble was obviously mainly physical or psychological in a purely spiritual manner. And if you do so, you not only don't help, you aggravate the problem. And that's when, like, when I get that question, and this, I have to talk, you know, when I had that question, when you're really depressed and anxious, who do you go see? Do you go see a pastor? Do you go see a doctor? Do you go see a counselor? And I want to say yes. Because all three of those things are huge. A pastor who can help uncover that can, that can be a safe place to talk about your sin and can point you to Jesus. Absolutely. A doctor who can maybe get you on a right medicine that would be super helpful for you. Absolutely. A counselor who can help you understand your story. And the places that we talked about a few weeks ago where, where Jesus wants to take you by the hand and just weep with you. A, a counselor that can help you unpack your family. Listen, your family's crazy, and it's okay. Welcome to the club, and we need to talk about your parents and you know, all that stuff. All three of those things are huge when we, want to, when we want to talk about anxiety and depression. And then lastly, I want to talk about what, what can we do about it. Okay, So first, how it feels. Second, where it comes from. Let's lastly talk about what can we do about it. And this is where I think, I've always asked myself this question, like, am I depressed and anxious um, because I'm not doing the things I need to be doing? 
Or am I not doing the things I need to be doing because I'm depressed and anxious? And again, I think the answer is yes. And part of what the answer of Psalm 42 is, we're not going to just fix this thing. But instead, I think what Jesus is calling us to and asking of us is to learn how to live well with your depression and anxiety as you entrust it to him. What can we do about it? Like the short answer of that is, and this is what the Psalms are all about, is how do you learn how to take your emotions, including your depression and anxiety, to the Lord and not away from him? And I think that's the the thing that we see. I I love Psalm 42 because the key of the whole thing is in the Psalm, or is in the refrains, verses 5 and 11. And it's really got two components. There's a theme of misplaced hope, and there's the theme of learning to hope in God. So first, the the theme of misplaced hope. This is what what it means to be human, right? Like C.S. Lewis said it so well when he said, human, like history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Like, welcome, if you want to understand yourself, you, you would do well just to meditate on that all this fall break. Rest, too, but you can meditate on that as well. But we misplace our hope, right? So part of maybe why the psalmist, part of what he's getting at is part of why he is depressed and anxious is because he's learned, it's been exposed in him. Like we sang, and I asked the Lord, it's been exposed in him that his hope wasn't really in God. It was perhaps in a place. It was perhaps in his own record. It was perhaps in, like, when he said about leading the people you know, leading the people to worship, I think probably part of Psalm 42, what he's saying is that was where my hope was and being seen in a certain way. But what's being exposed in him and why he's talking to himself is his hope wasn't in God. And it's the same for you and me. This is the way it works out in our lives, right? Like when I think about college, me, part of my story was I put my hope in a person that wasn't Jesus. I put my hope in this person that I was sure I was going to marry. And then when it didn't, and when it didn't work out, guess what happened? I got depressed. Some of us put our hopes in our careers in our, what we're going to do with our lives, what do we do when it doesn't work out? If our hope is there, we get depressed, we get anxious. Some of us put our hope in, in changing the world. But what do you do when God calls you to a, just to a, a small little place in South Carolina where you kind of realize I'm not important, right? If our hope isn't in God, then we're, of course we're going to get depressed and anxious. So the key is learning to live well by continuing to, to try to put our hope in the only person who's never going to change. And the only person who's going to love you forever. And the only person who sees you right now as you are, flaws and all, and loves you. The only person who has power to change you. And his name is Jesus. Um, this is where, you know, when I think about, I'll close with this. When I think about, I've gotten the privilege of teaching a seminar for like, man, it was like eight years at RDF Summer Conference. That's our next um, our summer trip that we do. It's a lot of fun. A lot of you guys have been. And uh, it's, it's been a privilege. I got to lead a seminar on depression and anxiety. And I would share a lot of what I shared tonight and a lot more just unpacking how do, how do we think about this? What do we do with it? And um, every year, this is true, like every time I led it, it would end the same way. Like I would get to the end of it and I would end in tears. And I would be thinking about this beautiful image that I think is the hope in God that we need. And it's an image from Isaiah 42, 3 of what God is like. And my question for you is this, is this what Jesus is like to you? And here's the image that Isaiah gives. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. But a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I titled this Jesus and Your Depression and Anxiety. And I think a lot of us have a vision of Jesus that says, get over it. 
Snap out of it. Stop. And can I give you the Jesus of the Bible that says, I know more than, more than you know I know. And I love more than you know I love. And here's the thing, like when I would do that seminar, and when I still do it, that would bring me to tears is this thought that, yeah, my depression hasn't really ever gone away. That's the bad news. Like the bad, I wish I could get up here and say, I'm healed, never, never going to be depressed again. I would be lying. But here's the good news. Is even though my depression has never gone away, Jesus has never gone anywhere. Jesus is with you through and through. He is with you. There's a line in John in chapter 13 where he says about his disciples, where John says about Jesus, he loved them even to the end. Jesus is the only one who's going to love you. And let's think about, let's talk about how can we learn to live, for those of us that are struggle, how can we learn to live well in trusting our depression and anxiety to Jesus, knowing that he's never, it might not ever go away, but he's never going anywhere. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. You really are the, the rock. You are the only one whose love never changes for us. Um, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I pray especially tonight for my depressed and anxious friends. Would you give us just a glimpse? Lord, we, I'm not asking for us just to all of a sudden feel totally different about life. But I am asking that you would give us a picture of what it looks like, how you come alongside us and love us in and through it and say, I know and I understand. Lord, I long for that and pray for that for them. And I pray for my my other friends who um, maybe this is whatever. I pray that you would give us understanding and patience, help us to learn how to sit with each other and listen and to hold each other's stories well. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. We all stand with us one last time as we sing our in the closing. All glory be to Christ.